Hey, welcome to the new episode of Hey Man, It's Okay. I'm your host, Sky. Today, we're going to talk about the Enneagram with special guest, Jim Zartman, host of the Art of Growth podcast. Let's get into it. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Thanks for joining us today. The microphones all work. Everyone's sounding good. Oh, man. Difficulties are subsided. They are the worst. I hate technical difficulties. And they happen at the most inconvenient times. Yeah, super. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, when you're trying to set up a podcast and, you know, you've got someone new who you're interviewing on your podcast and then you have technical difficulties. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, don't feel bad. We recently had one where it took us 30 minutes to get everyone's mic working. Cause it's six people on the call oh, and then it, it took another hour for one of the people's audio to upload. So, Oh man. Hey, this is nothing. We are golden. Oh, Let's great. go. Let's you go. Know, I, I just have to say thank you for being very lenient on everything going on. So oh, I it's much appreciated. I'm usually on your end of the world trying to make everybody's stuff work. So, <laughs> Hey, I'm all good. Cool. Well, let's get into it. Jim, welcome to our podcast, man. This is this is awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your credentials and and you know kind of why you're on here with us today? Yeah. My credentials are always make me kind of laugh because <laughs> I always talk about how I'm only interested in things that can never be mastered. Yeah. And one of the primary ones is people, because people are endlessly fascinating. They're endlessly deep wells. There is no way that you can ever figure people out. So it's always interesting. But as far as the world that I work in, like this is, you know, the art of growth is my full-time job. I, I've always been fascinated with personality. I think I read the Myers-Briggs book, uh, Please Understand Me, for the first time when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. And I was always trying to figure out people and understand people. But I was still stuck in the two primary things that people get stuck in, which is... They have an interaction that doesn't work out, the relational communication breakdown, conflict, whatever it may be. And so they end up getting stuck in only one of two questions, either what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them. Okay. And some people, their primary question that they operate with is what's wrong with other people? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we all want to know what's wrong with with everybody else. Right. And then some people, whenever something goes wrong, they really turn it inward. They really turn it on themselves. It's like, what's oh, wrong? Oh, that's me. 100%. So most of us go in one of those two directions, but they're different based on your own Enneagram type, um, your own personality. And so I was stuck in that thing for most of my life. I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what, was, what was wrong with most other people? Like, that was the primary question of my life. I was more external in that. I was... And I was always trying to understand these things because I was seeing this gap between my intent mm-hmm. and my impact. And I was okay. trying to close that distance in any way I can with any tools I could. So I think when I first came across the Enneagram, I thought, oh, maybe this will help me dig at it again because I had done multiple other uh, systems, 
nothing as nearly as sophisticated as the Enneagram. And it really wrecked me. Like I really had to take a look at myself. I had to deal with my own junk. Uh, It made me see myself in a different light and go, oh no, that's what's going on. But I also had this affirmation of like, oh, these things that I take for granted, other people don't have those. I have these kind of superpowers too. So (laughs) I had this simultaneous experience of like, oh no, that's what other people have been having to deal with with me. (laughs) And (laughs) oh, cool. There's these other aspects of me that are really, really wonderful. And so my business partner and I, we got into it and we were, you know, having more time talking about it and he decided to go get certified. And as part of his certification, he had to make recordings of panels. And we, I can explain more about this at some point if I need to, but a panel is just, you know, four people, all the same type. And the Enneagram is supposed to be based on self-reporting. You telling us what it's like to be you, not based on putting you in some kind of a box. Oh, that makes a lot of sense are really um, fundamental to the ongoing evolving language and understanding of the types. And so we've always had panels. And so he had to record them to finish his certification. I said, let's throw it on the internet. And then I called him three weeks later and I said, Hey, we've had more than the, you know, couple hundred downloads we were expecting. He's like, well, what do we have? I was like, we're already at 20,000. Whoa. And we're going to have third, like, you know, we're starting to have 3000 a week, 5000 a week, 10,000 a week. And it just like kept going from there. I said, dude, you got to get a website and uh, I should probably get certified. And like, <laughs> we, what are we going to do? We're starting to get contacted by companies or individuals from all over the place. It just sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, that's that sounds like a really cool, like how cool that it went, went way better than you guys expected. That's that's I mean, that's the dream, right? It was. I don't know if it it is or should be for everyone. And it, and it wasn't really my dream. I had done other podcasts and it was just kind of like an outlet for fun. And it was cool. We needed something to happen because we were at, actually both of us at the time were pastors and we knew we didn't belong or fit really in that world. And we didn't really want to be part of that machine so much, or, or maybe we were conflicted, but regardless, that part of our lives was on a steep decline simultaneously okay. while the art of growth was on this steep <laughs> incline. It was and growing. So they just sort of passed each other in the night and then we ended up here. Cool. And how long has it been that you guys have been doing this full time? Really full time just since the summer of 21. Okay. I think. Yeah. So we started the podcast in 2018 and then it in 2020, we started getting like our first like I finished my certification, we got our, and you know, the world was shut down. Everyone was working remote and everyone was trying to figure out how to help with that. And we were already set up <laughs> zoom because that's all yeah. we had really done. Cause we were sort of like, well, that's the only way we're going to be able to meet with this client in Australia, obviously. Makes so, sense. Um, yeah. So it just in 2020 is really when it, the, the, it started to become like, oh, this is a real, this could be a real business. That's pretty awesome. I think it's great that you found a real passion just doing this and you went with it. I think that's also kind of ties into it being the dream. Yeah. Well, I think I'm always driven by curiosity. Like I always just want to understand things, figure things out. And absolutely. And I get obsessed with things for a few years and most of them, like, you know, I got really into leatherworking 
for a couple <laughs> years and I made a bunch of leather goods and, um, you know, one year it was like, I'm going to do a triathlon. And then the last couple of years I'm going to do jujitsu and Hell learn yeah. how to surf and do all this different stuff. So, but this is one thing that was like, Oh, this is going to take more of my time. And I want it to, because the fundamental mission of my life is to get people out of that stuck place where the only two questions is what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them. And I like I'm deeply passionate about people understanding that they're actually incredible because m- people really undervalue themselves. Oh, That's yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's kind of criminal in a lot of ways because I find that people focus on the negatives rather than the positives. Mm. Like you have a bad day. You're going to remember that far more than a good day, for instance. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because some types absolutely and then some types want to ignore all of that and and only focus on the positive to the detriment of actually paying attention to what um, needs to be solved or corrected. But then there are you're right that there are some that hyper focus on the negative. And I heard one type uh, three in our world say 100 compliments plus one criticism equals one criticism. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, people tend to have negative things stick out because we as humans, I think, tend to dwell on the negative, which I think is something that, you know, is hard to get past sometimes. Well, it's hard to get past because it's it was a necessity at one point in time. So if you're living 60,000 years ago and you're like you're, you know, hunting gathering and you hear this little sound in the woods and you think, oh, crap, negative danger. I got to get out of here. You're probably going to survive longer that trait is going to survive a lot longer than the person that that's like down there and be like it's probably nothing it's like no it's actually a saber tooth you're actually dead so uh, absolutely you know, got, the caveman got, brain yes yeah. it's still so programmed like psychologists actually have an estimate on this that they say it takes uh, about one second for something negative to stick to us we hear it and boom it sticks i can see that it takes about 15 seconds for something positive to have the same kind of psychological effect on the wiring of the brain. That's so very interesting, you know, things like mindfulness, meditation, like gratitude practice, you're actually hovering in something long enough for it to create a neural network on the brain in a way that something negative can do instantly. Huh. Oh. So I negative hurts faster why. than pot than positive helps. It sticks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that's kind of interesting because I think making mistakes kind of allows you to learn a lot better and maybe that kind of contributes to it. But at the same time, uh, I do cardio and I kind of use that as meditation and Mm -hmm. it, I find it's very good for depression management. So sure. So I kind of wonder if, you know, what you're saying does tie into it, allowing you to um, have more of a, positive reflection and allow that to really sink in a lot better. It's sort of connecting to myself that way. And there is a very different category, you know, danger, instant, immediate danger, or someone did something that I feel, you know, you're in a relationship and someone says something and all of a sudden I feel attacked and all of my defenses are going up. That kind of a situation is very different than like the like depression, which is like a dragging, it's like walking through the mud yeah. and trying to get any kind of movement is really hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's really different mechanisms at work there that I 
can't, I won't huh. pretend to understand. So, um, you actually said something and I want to ask a question about it. You said that you and your business partner used to be pastors. Has that played into your exploration of the Enneagram? Um, so absolutely. I know you and said they passed each other, but I, I imagine that it would play into how you feel about things and the way you, you reflect on things um, as you, as you learn more and more. Yeah. I mean, I would say that for me, I won't speak for him, but for me, I just wanted to, I don't know, understand how all the, all these people fit together. There was this, I thought pretty beautiful image, uh, when I was in the church world of this idea of the body of Christ, meaning the combination of humans is the continued incarnation of the divine. Okay. So it's not the individual is the expression of the divine, but actually this combination of people where everyone has a part to play and everyone has unique um, gifts to contribute. I think that was really fascinating um, okay. to me. And so I think there was, I, the Enneagram isn't a thing I look at. It's a thing. They're like a pair of lenses that I see so much of the rest of the world. Oh, I like that. That's and beautiful. So I think because of having the Enneagram, then I was going to look at the lens through whatever I was doing, whether that was music and arts. I've always been a musician, always been a songwriter. And sometimes I would get stuck too much in the head. Um, sometimes I would, I just like the sound and the feel of a riff and it'd be very much a physical, like a body sensation thing. And sometimes it was all in the heart, like the emotion thing. But the integration of the three centers, like of head, heart, and body, which is so fundamental to this idea of the Enneagram, is that we're supposed to be these integrated beings. And usually when something goes wrong, when something's off, it's because we've, we've like forgotten one of our core centers. Like we've left out a major component of who we are. Yeah. Um. Well, I know we've we've mentioned the Enneagram several times. Can you explain to us and our listeners? I mean, I know, but can you explain what the Enneagram is since you're the professional here? Absolutely. I'm kind of filling in the role as the newcomer to the, yeah. the Enneagram. Yeah, well, it's um, humans have always been trying to create models of of understanding. Right. And I, I can't remember the statistician that said all models are useful, but wrong. And I think that's a really important thing to, uh, to understand here. But what the Enneagram is, is it is a very elegant system for understanding humans core motivations and the patterns that are created in order to meet the need of that core motivation. So where a lot of personality systems focus on what you do. The Enneagram is very focused on why you do it. What is the driving motivator for your actions? Because so many, lots of people will do the same action, but they'll do it for very different reasons. And so in the Enneagram, you have um, these nine types. And as we always tell people, you have all nine types within you in different percentages. You heard every message coming at you as a young person, but certain messages stuck. Certain messages said, this is important. Certain experiences said, 
I need to do this. I need to use this strategy in my life. And whether that strategy was, I have to be as good as possible, or I have to help everyone, or I have to be a high achiever, or I have to like be able to freely express my emotions, or I have to be very logical and linear and I ha- or I have to like anticipate danger or I need to think about the joy and the possible futures and put my energy and focus on that so I don't have to dwell on the negative or I have to be strong and conquer the world because it's going to kill you if you don't or I have to neutralize and merge in order to go along with the flow. So I just went through all nine types right there just with many descriptions to say like there's just very different ways that we respond to a world in order to feel safe and to get our core needs met. Absolutely. I think it's great that you actually did say that we all have all nine types. It's kind of like what I've talked with Sky before on previous episodes where I consider myself an introvert, but I also kind of see it like it's a spectrum where some days I'm a lot more extroverted and some days I'm a lot more introverted. So it's ever changing and kind of relating it back to Enneagram. I would say, you know, like some days you're definitely feeling like you're more prominent type, but other days, maybe you're displaying a different, a different number. Mm. Well, a lot of times it's situational. Like if I'm in a situation where my core pattern or strategy doesn't work or it's repeatedly failing, then I'm going to lean into one of the other resource points or another type. So typically in the Enneagram, you have a core type. So let's say like a type nine, And if their strategy isn't working, they're either going to lean a little bit more into the eight or a little bit more into the one. So they're going to lean into one of their neighbors to develop another adaptation. But then um, there's like this triangle of the type nine, type three and type six in the Enneagram. And those are resource points for the nine, the six and the three. One is the gas pedal, the three and the the six is the break. If you would, if you're talking about the type nine. And so then they really lean into those. So a lot of times people develop one of their neighbors more or what's often in the Enneagram called a wing um, or they'll lean into one of these resource points. Yeah. So I, I discovered the Enneagram through some friends. I belonged to a maker space here in Washington and we just got talking with these people once and they were super into the Enneagram and I have to tell you, the first time I took the test, took me about seven minutes to take the test. The first time I took the test, I wept because I had never seen anything describe my personality more than that did. And not only did it show me my personality, it showed me things that I didn't really know how to put into words and it just laid it all right out there. And it's been an extremely helpful tool to me and my wife and my friends. We've all figured out how to communicate better, how to better talk to each other so that we, so that we all can kind of cohabitate and be the best version of ourselves. And it's been, it's been so amazing. So I, the Enneagram is, is actually something we use pretty much daily and it's one of my favorite tools in my tool belt. Yeah. And I've found that so often people who invest the time and actually get to know the system like that, that's exactly what happens because you aren't stuck in those two questions anymore, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you're not stuck in only all the ways I'm not enough or I'm too much, right? Those messages that come at us. I'm not, I can look at your perspective and I'm not just filling in the story with my own experience. I can actually have a better sense of where you're coming from. And so I think it is the most useful tool for creating empathy, 
because like for me, my natural wiring is I'm not extremely empathetic. I don't feel other people's feelings the same way it, it, or I do at times and then it goes, but it's not ever been in a highly uh, uh, developed part of my life. But this goes, oh, I can put myself in your shoes. And I my starting point now is I'm imagining the most generous interpretation of your actions. That's my starting point now. Okay. That's really interesting. So I'll share. I'm a two. I am a two through and through. In fact, before the podcast, I did go ahead and take the Art of Growth Enneagram test. And yours had a percentage. And uh, I was 93% type two which didn't didn't surprise me one bit because I knew I'm very much two through and through, especially because I've done the inner work to grow and to be at the healthiest level that I can, you know, and try to stay up there as much as possible. Um, and my wife is a type one, very much type one. And it's been really good for us because she knows that I need to be needed and I know that she needs to be organized, Yeah, which is, which has been really funny. But yeah, I like how you're talking about how everyone kind of has parts of every number and it's it makes it a lot easier when you realize that to integrate with other people. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Jim, you are a type eight, correct? I am a type eight. Yes. So, so you're a challenger. I'm a challenger. I have this high need to make sure my life is organized in a way that I am not controlled by external forces or external people. And if I'm in a situation where that happens, I have a strong reactivity to it. And um, because there's this core need that fundamentally the world is not a good place and you're going to get killed if you're not prepared to, to kill. And so like the armor went on pretty early. It's because um, a lot of eights have this rep of like they're not very sensitive. <laughs> I know I have a few eights in my life who who definitely are not sensitive and they just like to give you trouble. <laughs> but I. I believe, and I've seen this consistently when they do their work, they actually realize that they're extremely sensitive and that's why they had to armor up so early on. Um, and the uh. armor came on very strong and I had to tell myself the story that I'm not affected by other people and that I don't care what they think or whatever, but that's not the truth of what's happening because I always wanted to belong but I refused to fit some other mold or do what other people expected in order to fit in. So this combat between fitting in and belonging was always at war. The conflict between being sensitive and needing to be strong and not expose vulnerability because you'll be taken advantage of, we're always at odds with each other. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine that that was kind of a crazy realization for you, especially after you had done the, you know, the Myers-Briggs stuff and, and, you know, kind of seen a couple different areas of your personality. Yeah. I mean, I saw kind of like the way I navigated the world a little bit through those systems. But when I, when I saw some of this stuff, I was just like, I had a, this is an interesting thing to me. I had a different relationship with my memories. So hmm. I have this very underdeveloped theory about how, you know, you grow up, you have tons of experiences and your mind chucks most of your memories. It's like, that's yeah. not important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the inside out. It's the memory dump. It's just like, I was just <laughs> thinking about <laughs> that. Exactly. <laughs> You're always going to remember that double mint commercial. Um, yeah, it's always got uh, things that it's getting rid of. Right. But certain core memories of your childhood stuck. They and they stuck in their good. And I believe that those stories 
are something you must become a student of because you hung on to those for a reason. They're trying to tell you something about your personality. And often with coaching clients, I'll actually walk through some of their memories with them and we'll talk about the message that they absorbed through that memory, why their mind probably held on to it, why it was important. Because I think that with all the stuff we chuck, whatever we held on to is like a, a riddle that's asking to be solved in our lives. It's something that's wanting to unlock a true part of our identity so that we can have a better sense of belonging. So we can live into our purpose. Cause Absolutely. it's always going to follow in that train. I mean, more than that, it, it sort of molded us because it is such a core memory to us dating back from yesteryear. So absolutely. And some people carry more of an awareness of the stories that were important and some not so much. Like I had zero clue. I, until I understood the Enneagram, I looked at a lot of stories in my life as neutral that I now look back on and I'm like, that is not normal or that is not like a neutral experience. Like that was a defining moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. You know, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, I had already been doing a lot of internal work in myself when mm-hmm. I discovered the Enneagram. Um, I had, I had, you know, I started therapy in 2019, um, which I've talked about on the podcast before, but I, I mean, I can tell you about that later, but yeah, I, I started my journey in 2019 into therapy and I learned mindfulness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mindfulness changed my life. And I had been doing this inner work to try to be better, but I knew that there was something holding me back. And you know, the universe showed me to these people who introduced me to the Enneagram. And I realized the one thing that's really holding me back was loving myself. Yeah. So it really made me go into this self-reflection and figure out, okay, why can't I love myself? Why can't I tell myself, hey, you're a good looking dude. Like take off your shirt. Who cares? You know? Whatever. And, you know, I, I fully believe, yeah, it is those core memories that your brain holds on to that makes you so that you're hesitant or that you, you know, jump, you know, balls to the wall, you're, you're in it. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's, it's, it's my, like I said, it's my favorite learning tool and it's my favorite way to like look back and reflect. I like the way you put, put that, that it's your core memories are there for a reason to learn from. Yeah. And this is something that they often work on in, in therapy. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great tool. Uh, but so many people come to us sort of like after the therapy, they're like, well, what now, how do I create the journey, the life that I want based on the way I'm wired? Because how do you honor that wiring? There's, there's the healing, which mm-hmm. is kind of like redoing the foundation of the building. And then there's the purpose and mission that comes out of who you naturally are, because I deeply believe that who you most naturally are is what the world most needs from you. Okay. That's beautiful. And I I do want to say, I appreciate that you're calling this a tool because my biggest fear is people will look at this and use it as an excuse to label themselves or use as as an excuse to label others when I I don't think that's true at all. Um, It's not like... I know the Zodiac gets a bad reputation. Like that's such a Scorpio or something like that. It's like, that's not what it's about. That's never what it should be about. It's a tool. And I think you're right. It should be used to help allow us to understand ourselves better. And also what direction we'd like to go in, in the future. 
Yeah, and some people absolutely do that. They're like, well, I can't help it. I'm just a four, so I'm just this way. Or or they say it to their friends, you know, oh, you're just such a six. You got to stop worrying about them. <laughs> and I, I do hate that stuff because it, like any tool can be ruined and be very mm-hmm. reductionistic. And in the Enneagram world, there's a lot of people who do that. In the Enneagram world, there's people who really focus on the shadow side and what's wrong. And they still treat you like a problem to be fixed. But whenever people try and do that, they're using the type to try and fix the type. And you cannot create solutions with the same strategy that created the problem. And so it's really uh, like they're kind of wasting the tool in that regard. Because the tool is there to um, reveal so that we can, you know, increase our level of self-awareness. Like I, I, I wish everyone had, you know, your experience guy where you read it and you just have this like emotion overcomes you. I mean, some people I know, I, I always remember one friend who said she saw her type and read it and got so angry. Like she walked away from the Enneagram for a year <laughs> and uh, yep, I get it. I get it because some people have that reaction too. They're just like total anger or denial or whatever. And everyone around them is just being like, oh, this is so you. Oh my goodness. Isn't that so? Yes. She's like this. And then they just wither because they're, that would would be frustrating. Uh, I I can see that. I'm so exposed. Right. And I've had this happen in corporate settings. Like I'm working with a fortune 100 company and there's like 20 people in the room and then someone is just starts to wither. And I'm just like, it's okay. You totally just back out. You don't have to answer any more questions because I don't want them to like have that shutdown. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really hard too. Cause they're actually um, for some types that feels very exposing. And I don't want people to be exposed. Like the point is that, you know, that you're awesome, but, when, right. when it comes to your weaknesses, like, guess what? Everyone around you already sees them. They're not a mystery. <laughs> so and then, of course, f- you got the insecurities coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you find more people who are for it or more people who are against it? Way more that are for. Way, way, way more. That's good. Even in these companies where um, they're basically told they have to do this, <laughs> even in that setting most of the time it's a very positive thing. And by the end of the very first, you know, training with us, they're going, Oh, so when we had this interaction, that's what you were thinking. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That's the point I was trying to get us. I didn't see that because I was coming from this perspective and they, and they catch on really quickly. But of course, in any situation you have, people who are just like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've always got those, those stubborn ones who, you know, they just choose not to look at themselves. Yeah. And since this podcast is called, Hey man, it's okay. And you're specifically trying to talk to men and, and about their mental health. I will say that this is far more popular with women. Uh, um, almost 90% of our listenership of our podcast is women. Um, the clients, the, the people who bring us into the corporations, most of this is women because I think a lot of men, and I've seen this. I shouldn't say I think. I've witnessed a lot of men. They err towards this thing of feeling exposed, of feeling like someone is going to have some like level of power over them, or they're going to be treated differently. And there is an extent where it's a harder road for them to climb for whatever reason. I haven't totally figured out. I really want to. It's... I mean, you guys probably know more about this and I, I'd be curious what you've seen or come across. Have you come across stats on this as far as like men's willingness to go into therapy 
I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any like scientific stats, but I know like just like in my normal life, I have seen so many, so many men who I talk to and who just don't want to talk about their feelings and they just bottle things up. And I think that makes sense because the Enneagram really opens you up to your vulnerabilities and shows you what your core fears are. And, you know, that's kind of why that's the reason we started this podcast was because there's too many men who aren't out there talking about their feelings, who aren't talking about the things that make them better. They're just trying to, you know, they're doing great for their family. They're doing good for their family, but they're not taking care of themselves. And And then, of course, you have toxic masculinity playing into everything. And there's the stereotype that, oh, man, can't experience emotions. That's weakness. You know, I got to be big, strong and tough. You know, I got to be a manly man. And, you know, it's it's criminal because everybody feels emotions. Everyone experiences everything. Um, No one's really immune to that. And I think at the end of the day, it's better to confront it than ignore it because you're just ultimately going to bottle it up. And eventually that bottle is going to get to capacity and (laughs) everything's going to explode and overflow. And that's not a situation anyone needs to put themselves in. Well, the deb- the data supports what you're saying, Mike, because it's like someone who avoids conflict. You're actually not avoiding it. You're just punting it down. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of men, um, they just keep punting it down and they don't develop the, the daily skills of interacting with their emotions. And so they're unprepared when they hit a real traumatic event or a real tragedy. And then all of a sudden, all of it comes snapping in at once, and then they're underprepared. But I think there is that would be my personal story. There is I kind of just just had some, a really big tragic event happen that really brought yeah. it all together. Yeah, and that and that is, and it's great if you're because not everyone's story is like you, Sky. That not everyone goes and then gets the help they need. They just stay in that space, or they deny, they build taller walls and thick deeper moats like that's the strategy and it's and it doesn't work because eventually this is going to blow up in your face um but i think you know there is all this talk about toxic masculinity and stuff like that and i think um men are given a bad rap in a lot of ways because there's this fundamental message that is under that's been in the background of men for all of time and that is that men are expendable. You're here to die. Yeah. So when I say that to men, it goes deep and they're like, oh God, I know that feeling. Because right. when you think about it, if you know, if there's any kind of a threat coming towards, who do you send out? You send out the men. Mm-hmm. If, if the boat's going down, put the women and children on the boats, the men go down with the boat. It's yep. like that <laughs> somebody was joking about that's why all the groomsmen are dressed the same, because if one goes down, you just step. You step over and they're all identical. Um, but I think that men at this deep visceral level feel this thing of like, I am here to die. I am expendable. And therefore either I don't want to waste my time, like cycling around this stuff, but like we're not living in, in danger like that. And we're still reacting like we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is a time to go, I will deal with this later and I need to get this functional thing done to take care of my family or protect them against the coming crisis, whether it's um, physical or economical or whatever it is. 
and I understand that, but when there's a time for peace, you do need to go into that reflection because you're actually building the capacity muscles for dealing with uh, everyday life, dealing with like, if you can't handle rejection, how are you going to be a good partner long-term? Yeah. That's beautiful. If you can't handle some of these different little things, as far as interacting, you can't back down. You're, you're probably not going to have a lot of success in certain parenting strategies, for instance. (laughs) I'm just taking that one from experience. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I told Sky in one of the previous episodes, um, Quoting from a song, uh, a lyric specifically, making mistakes is proof that you're being challenged. And it, I like to think that it's a learning mechanism. And it sometimes it's hard to take criticism. Sometimes it's hard to accept failure. But I think ultimately we become better for it because we learn so much from doing it. We can choose to learn from it, but I think we have pretty good evidence that not everyone does. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. I I agree with that. That's why I think we have, you know, the stigma against men who want to go talk about their feelings or talk about the mental health and care for themselves because they've been told for so long, it's not okay for you to not be okay. Like you need to be fine all the time. (laughs) And, you know, my big message, I mean, I don't know if I have a, I have a TikTok and I end every TikTok with it's okay to not be okay because it's something that I truly believe in. So how do we Mm -hmm. as you know, these men who are dealt, who are diving into this, you know, not industry, but into this profession of, of talking with people and sharing our message with people. How do we go about increasing the number who are okay talking about it? How do we, how do we work on ending the stigma? Because that's really what this is all about is finding the right tools to, to stop that. But how do we reach and, and connect with people who aren't willing to look at themselves? Yeah. Like that's the big question. (laughs) So one of the major factors that contribute to that issue in our particular society is we have, it's a pretty recent thing in human history. And it's um, that we no longer have rituals of passage, things that you do Mm -hmm. that say you are now a man, because in order to go through a ritual of passage, you have to have someone who's taking you through the ritual, Mm -hmm. have someone who's taking you who's setting the example for you. So I think to impact this as best we can is we have to be people who are setting the example and doing sort of a ritual initiation sometimes of a man into his emotions. Um, And I think that comes by leading with our own and being transparent with our own. Yeah. Um, So just recently I, had a real overwhelming experience with um, grief a couple weeks ago. And I was really, really stuck in it. Um, My father passed away in September and there was, I, I was starting to feel not the sorrow about that, but I was starting to feel this overwhelming sense of grief of, and really anger of what I never had. Because he was always disabled. He had a brain tumor before I was born. Okay. He, you know, I was, I never had a dad that I could look up to. Um, I, and then because of, you know, I needed to be strong so that I wasn't taking more energy from, 
you know, mom who needed to take care of dad and sister who was in a lot of chaos of her own. And so I like always felt, you know, relatively unsupported and I knew it would be there if I would have asked for it. But the story I told myself is I can't ask for it because we don't want to be a burden, right? Don't want to be a burden Mm. and you have other things to deal with and I can handle this myself. So I'm not going to put this on you. And so I started actually feeling some of the sorrow of all of that since my, my dad passed away and um, a lot of grief about the loss of, um, you know, I, for a long time, I had given my life to my faith and I'd Mm -hmm. given my life to the church and I went through a major deconstruction of my faith. So I felt like, and then, you know, I, I had wanted to lean into this church world and then the, you know, sort of being, seeing behind the scenes mm-hmm. and being a part of it and feeling compromised and being like, I don't like this either. So I felt like I was going through the grief of yes, losing my father, but I was also the death of the God as I knew him. And, uh, so father God and mother church had also died in the last couple of years as I knew them. And that was so much a part of my identity. So I was just like churning in all this grief. So I'm talking about, you know, setting example, like being able to say this stuff. So a, I'm saying it now. Mm -hmm. Also, what did I do? I called two friends and I said, I need to download some stuff. People who I know are for me, but they're objective observers of my life. So I'm not dumping all this stuff just on my wife. Like (laughs) who wants to know about it but I'm not looking to her to fulfill that emotional support role because she's, she's too closely intertwined with it. And so I needed like objective outsiders to observe it. This is why a therapist or a coach or um, a certain uh, people in a community are really helpful for this kind of a function. So I asked them to dinner and I just downloaded all of it. And I, as I was saying it, I even realized some resentments that I had not realized I had. Um, So voicing some of this stuff, And then for me, how I process often is I need to get my body in movement. Kind of like Mike was talking about a moving meditation. And so the next morning I got on my bike and I rode for 50 miles and I just like took five hours out out by myself for the day to kind of be in silence and let this stuff sort of process. And that was two weeks ago. And I've been my mental health has been much better over the last couple of weeks because I saw the pattern going and I was like, I need to ask for help, which is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I need to take time for myself to do something that makes me feel like I can process and that I'm alive. So taking that action of, uh, for me, I always say it's movement and beauty. So it's often long bike rides by the ocean or surfing paddleboard surfing or something like that. So I need to ask for help. I need to share honestly. I need to be vulnerable. And then I need to process this through my body in some way. But how do you get to the point where you admit to yourself that you need to ask for help? Because I think that's the first step. Like, is that something you realize yourself or is that something is you say you're, you're married, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've so been married is, for over 17 years. Yeah. Or is that something oh, that, congratulations. That, that your wife says, Hey, I've noticed this about you. I think it's time to talk about it. Or are you self-reflective enough that you're like, okay, I know I'm feeling this and I need to like go talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Because I know now the consequence of burying it. And what I say 
about the Enneagram often is one of the best gifts that the Enneagram has gotten given me is that the amount of time I spend disrupted has been dramatically shortened where something would have happened in my life and I could have been off for weeks, months, even just drowning in that thing because I didn't know how to ask for it. I didn't know how to take time for myself. I didn't know how to stop and, and not keep going all of those things that I now know. So the things that used to take me a week or two to deal with, I'll now deal with like in a matter of hours because I, I, I experience it. I have the self-awareness so I'm starting, I can see it and then I can go into, um, like self-observation so I can see how I'm experiencing it and start to look at a broader way. And then I can go into a transformational habit of doing something about it because I always say like the steps of growth is unbeknownst to you and not because of anything you've done wrong, just the, the hand you were handed, you've been falling in the same hole your entire life. And self-awareness is just like, oh, now I walk up and I see the hole. I still fall into it most of the time, but I at least see it now. <laughs> and then the third stage of health is walking up, seeing the hole and walking around it. And then and then not judging myself for each of those stages because acceptance is the first stage. So when I think about like these stages of like, how did you know you asked for help, whatever? Well, the first step is actually acceptance. And I don't mean the the weak acceptance of like, I'm fine, you're fine, everything is fine. I just accept this is just the reality. No, yeah. it's, the, it's the deep acceptance of this is where I actually am and I can admit it. That's what I, that's what I mean by acceptance. Okay. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So what what um advice would you give to somebody who's just looking at diving into the Enneagram? Um, you know, like as, myself, as like a tool. Yeah. Like Mike actually just took the test right before we recorded. Uh, yes. Or right before yesterday and, um, got, got his results and he's like a, like a 26% four or something like that. 21% four. uh, also tied in Which was with his highest. Let's see. It was, um, type four and type six were 21 and then, um, type one and type five were 14% and those were also tied. So yeah, yeah, he's, he's very new to this. So like, yeah. So what should they look for? Um, the first thing I always say is that, um, all tests are at best about 60% accurate because we don't just answer what is we answer the way we think we should. And so all of us can kind of get stuck in that. So, the, the gold standard, and I come from the Enneagram of what's called the narrative tradition. That was through my certification because it's based on your story. So I believe that personality is best understood when observed by a person. <laughs> Go figure. So when I'm <laughs> interviewing someone, I'm not just listening for what they say. I'm listening for, do they have a lot to say about that or a little bit? How much energy is behind it when they say that? Do they kind of say it and then look back at me to see what I thought of that thing they just said? So I'm looking at the body language. I'm looking for the energy. I'm looking at all of these things to observe what's actually going on with this person. That the way that someone present their energy that they bring to the room intentionally or not, I, I want to observe that. I want to see that. So for someone who's just starting out though, 
take a bunch of those tests. Take a few of them. Actually, this is the third test because we tried to do an Enneagram test before and or we tried to do an episode and it kind of got scrapped a little bit for technical reasons. Go figure, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember um, in that test, I think two was my highest, followed by four. And um, based on what I see, I, I think I do agree that I am more of a type four based on what I'm, what I'm reading and what I'm seeing. But um, again, it's kind of like what you're saying, take a bunch of other tests. Yeah. I mean, the gold standard is obviously, you know, booking a typing session with me, but that's expensive. That's not for everybody. <laughs> and that's a lot of times, like if you can get your job to pay for it or something, that's pretty great. But um, which is often how it does happen for us. But, you know, take a take a few and whatever your top, you know, you might get your top two or three answers. Like it's probably one of those. And then just take your time. Explore. Like one of the main reasons we put out the panels podcast is because people would go, oh, those are my people. Those people are in my heads. I was listening to the type fives and oh, man, they they are inside my head right now. And I think that experience is one of the best ways to to get to know your type is actually listen to other people that you suspect of having the same type. But I always tell people, like, it's more important to find your work than your type. Like people obsess about finding the right type, which is fine. It's good to have that piece, to have the accuracy of knowing your right type. But honestly, that's not the main thing. The main thing is like, are you developing the muscles of self-observation and grace for yourself? Are you allowing yourself the space to to ask yourself questions that you've never asked okay. because for a lot of men, they come to one of these tests and they've been like, I have never once thought about any of these questions. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. I'll sit with someone and I'll ask them a bunch of questions and they're like, I've never been asked questions like this. And so being, you know, actually processing an answer that's authentic to you can sometimes take time. Yeah, so, Absolutely just don't be in a hurry to like, Oh, I have to figure it out right now. It's like go on an exploration of yourself, become a student of your story, a student of your own life, a student of your memories, a student of what the people around you say, you know, and, uh, and, and you're going to be making the movement needed for better mental and emotional health. And if you're in the direction, if you're in that train, then you are absolutely going to get there. And everyone around you will appreciate it, right? But you can't have this um, instantaneous answer, which is, I honestly, sometimes I think the Enneagram is, as wonderful it is, it's very much conflicted with the culture of the time, which is, I want to be able to take a test and know right now. I want to find out my type within 10 minutes. We are definitely a, an instant gratification society. Yeah, I want to know, and I want to know what to do about it. And you can't. So besides besides your test, do you know ones that you find are pretty accurate that you could recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I like the Truity one. I like... That was the first one I took was the Truity one. Yeah, the Enneagram Institute, the language is a little outdated, but the but it's still pretty solid. Like I know a lot of people that still get good results from that one. Um, those are the only couple that I know of. Um, one of the additional ones that we've done is... 
there's variance on each type. When you meet a 10 of the same type and you realize they're very, very different from each other, one of the key ways is because what we call the instinctual variance. Is this a, if it's a type three, are they a social type three, a sexual three, or a self-preservational three? So that's going to change a lot. So we put a instincts test on our website and that you just, you don't need a person to observe. Like it's pretty straightforward. You can figure out your, <laughs> the, the order of your instincts. And a lot of times I think that's a great starting point because the instincts, your lowest instinct, your repressed or resisted instinct is often causing more problems in your life than even your type is. So I think that's a really good thing to do because when you combine the instinct and the type, Yes. Like I said, this is starting to get complicated, right? So take your time. Don't rush into this. But when you have the instinct and the type, then you have a picture of who you are that goes, oh, my goodness. I really see this at work. I kind of want to look this up just because I feel that it gives a better understanding of Enneagram and um, just a person themselves, because like you're saying, you know, I could be a type four, but I might not be the same as another type four if I were to run into them um, randomly. Yeah. I think if, if I was to put it in order of like best case scenario to worst case scenario, I would say most people come and they take a test right away. And I think that's probably like the third best option. I think the first best option is to like, like I said, do it some kind of a typing interview with someone who really knows their stuff. But I think a very close second is simply interacting with your friends and your friends talking about it together. Like Sky's example. I think that's a great context. If you have a group of people that are all going to explore it together. Fantastic. Then the next one down, I would say was just listening to panels and seeing who you really resonate and identify with. And then which, the next one, down. you guys just started a new panel um, series, yes. which I'm very excited to listen to. Yeah. And it's really getting back to basics. So I think if you, if you jumped on the art of growth now, the season we're in, we've only released the eight and the nine. And then the one comes out next week. And whenever this airs, the whole season might be out. I don't know, but um, it's, it's really great as far as just discussing the core motivation and strategies of each type with um, with a panel uh, of participants and they are amazing because they're also talking about like how they're growing mm-hmm. because the growth path does not look the same for all of us. And so I love the specificity of being like, well, what ground will I grow well in? Will I thrive in? What kind of nutrients does the soil need for me to become someone who's really living into their identity their community and their purpose. That's awesome. Then we're on, then we're really on track. Good analogy. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining Mike and I today. We really appreciated the conversation, the answers, the questions. So, I mean, I hope, I hope maybe we'll have you on again. Maybe we'll talk about something else when we, when we learn some more about the podcast and kind of where we're going. Yeah. It'll be interesting to hear Mike explore his own journey with this a bit more and then, you know, circle back and have an update when he's had some time to explore that for a while and then see what impact it's had on your life and kind of bookend it with that at some point would be really interesting. That would be really great. So, yeah, I guess that's it for now for this episode of Hey Man, It's Okay. Make sure to check out our website, heymanitsokay.com. 
We are on social media at Hey Man, It's Okay on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok if you're into that sort of thing. So until next time, this is Sky signing off, and it's okay to not be okay. If you want to take our test, any of these tests at that theartofgrowth.org. And you can also reach out to me if you want to schedule a typing interview there. Yeah, Hell awesome. yeah. Anything, right. anything to add, Mike? Well, everyone's different and it's, understand it's a tool and it's very good to know yourself so you can make educated guesses and plan for the future. Yeah. And thank you all for having me so much. If I would want to remind anyone to close, I would remind them that there is nothing wrong with you and you have a lot of work and you have a lot of work to do. (laughs) We all have homework. That's a good thing to keep in mind regularly. Yeah, buddy. Thank you so much, guys. But thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you on the next episode of Hey Man, It's Okay. Booyah. Bye. Adios. That's why it's